listened to every single podcast on oneofus.net. What do I do now? Well, first of all, how is that even possible? But secondly, I think I have a solution for you, Chris. There can be no solution, there, Brian. There is a solution, and that solution is our newest sponsor, Audible.com. Guys, if you haven't tried Audible.com, now is the perfect time to do that. We're talking about content that includes over 150,000 audio programs. We're talking about books on digital, audio dramas, uh, broadcasters, magazine and newspaper publishers, all the greatest stuff you can possibly imagine in one place just for you. Okay. That actually does sound pretty good. Doesn't that sound great? And you know what? I'm going to make it sound even greater, Chris, because they are officially, Audible is officially one of our sponsors here at oneofus.net. And as a special gift to you guys, Audible has given away a free audiobook. All you have to do is click on the link at the bottom of this page, or you can go to audibletrial.com slash oneofus. You mean to say that by clicking on audible.com and downloading their free book, they make sure by listening to that audio that we keep making more audio as well? That's right, and the cycle continues. Oh my god, it's so hot. Oh lord, it's so, so hot. I just, I, you know, we had so long of just nice rainy weather, and now it's the revenge of the sun. I was sleepless in Seattle, and now I'm just uh, raisin in the sun. This is <laughs> awful. <laughs> I don't know how much longer I can take this for here. Go ahead and have a beer. Maybe this will help. Oh, oh, whew. oh, whew. I was so sweaty. I just dropped my beer. Now it's all over the floor. You, you, can't, you can't hold on to your beer? I uh, can't even hold on to my dignity. Well, hold on. Let me see. Maybe there's something I can use to help you hold it. Hold on. I'll just take this. Ah, there you go. I just broke this. Here, you can use this Jupiter ascending disc to, uh, to oh, hold on to your beer. Oh, honey, I, I do not lay about in trash. Thank you. Welcome to Digital Noise. Hello. It's the Chris, Chris and Joe show this week. Wah, wah. Hello. Yeah. Hello, I, I got a soundboard, by the way. <laughs> you are the soundboard. <laughs> the, and Joe as the soundboard. Yeah, do, do you want foghorn? I can do foghorn. I, I don't. All right. I don't. But uh, the occasional is all right. Or <laughs> what, what was that one? Uh, that that was the uh, the uh, you're in the club. The DJ can't make a segue to the next song noise. Uh, yeah, see, I don't know about these things because I'm old. Yeah, well, it's big on Sixth Street. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> uh, we've got a lot of titles to talk about this week, so let's just jump into it with the first of our titles: the oddly named and deceptively paced Lil Quin Quin. Lil Quin Quin, what are you up to? Uh, this is a Kino Lober release who releases all sorts of uh, re stuff and then a bunch of really obscure foreign stuff this following under the title of really obscure foreign uh although this is recent this is from writer director bruno dumont who made uh well-known uh, films like in france anyway as Hum- humanite and 29 palms this is actually a mini series which i had realized if i had realized yeah. that i don't know if i would have asked for it right uh, uh well, well uh, bruno dumont is also known as uh, happy fun time go-go boy because his films are usually just you know bust a rib funny. Wait, no. They're, no. they're not actually. Even though this is, in theory, a comedy, but it's right. blink and you miss it, it's funny, I guess? Well, and if you're one of the one of the main characters, like the detective, you blink quite a bit, so you're oh, okay. miss quite a bit. So, yeah, this story, <laughs> Lil Quinquin is actually this little kid who's got some, I don't 
know, what's wrong with his lips and his nose? Something. Well, yeah, some sort of birth defect a, or something. Or he got in a car accident when he was shot. Something's wrong with him, but it's not it has nothing to do with the story. Uh, it's it's a, both a Bildungsroman, a coming-of-age story for this kid who is a little punk in a lot yeah, of ways. Yeah, I would, I would say that, that uh, he got into the car wreck, and, and that was his superhero origin story, but his superpower was being a bag of shit. Being completely obnoxious. <laughs> yeah, just tormenting everyone in the town. He's got his little gang of bully toughs he hangs out with. Oh, yes. Uh, his one redeeming quality seems to be that there's uh, one of the, the neighbor girl... He's, you know, solidly in love. They have a solidly in love with each other. There's oh, lots of these really sweet moments with they, them hugging each other yeah, and they, taking care of her. They've got uh, a, a kind of relationship that I'm still looking for. Right? <laughs> I know. It's like, how did this guy get that? He's like 10 years old and already he's doing better than yeah, I Yeah, well, the French. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> and speaking of the French, uh, this series, fuck... Uh, it's the the overriding story that apparently the directors and writers really didn't actually care about when it came to the end mm-hmm. uh, is <laughs> yeah. about a series of murders where some killer is killing people and stuffing their body parts inside the assholes of cows. Yeah, which yeah. is which is obviously the perfect crime. Uh, and this being such a tiny little town, there's two cops in this whole town. Why, when there's clearly a serial killer on the use, Interpol never shows up is a question mm. never addressed. It's not like this is a period piece or anything as near as I can tell. <laughs> no. uh, uh, but the let, the head cop here, uh, played by Bernard Provost, who is like, I don't know if something's actually physically wrong with this man, the actor, like he has some severe tick or if this is just a performance? I'm pretty sure it was a performance, because uh, with the exception of uh, Uncle, I forget his name, uh, Danny or something, Yeah, uh, everybody is affectating something. Yeah. And and his, like, my grandfather had Parkinson's, and so watching this was just painful, because it, it basically is what somebody with Parkinson's hat looks like, you know, and it was just... Well, he's just constantly, like, blinking and making weird faces and, like, you know, like, like he's just, like, not, like, hugely weird, but just, like, his facial expression just is constantly changing. Yeah. Like, it's just really odd to watch this guy. He was doing all of uh, Clouseau's mannerisms at one time. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I... If anything, he was the most entertaining thing about this film. Yeah, I would say that. But... As this goes on, and this is almost four hours long, mind yep. you, uh, the more murders start happening. It looks like everybody is tied together. Everybody knows each other, uh, and is it like you know, somebody's having an affair with somebody else, and then that person's husband, and then yada yada yada. And the, the father of Lil Quinn Quinn turns out that he's actually directly related to uh, like the first guy who died, uh, or the first person who di- not the first person, the second person who died. And uh, it was his long his brother who he hadn't talked to for years, even though they live like a mile away from each other or something. That's never explored. So much like, is not explored. Yeah. And um, I'm just gonna you know tell you this now. Uh, like this is a spoiler, and I'm sorry if you don't want to know, but they never wrap it up. Nope. It is completely abandoned at the end. There is like even the one person who the, the series seems to kind of like like even minorly tag your it with it could not be the person because he was in a psychiatric institute when the killing started. 
So well, maybe he's got psychic powers. Yeah, maybe so. Uh, yeah, and the only other person they have is like this guy riding a motorcycle who you never even see his face. Mm-mm. You know, you know who he is in the terms of relation to the town, but he's not even a character in the thing. And I'm left wondering. What the fuck, France? Well, what was the point? Like, it seemed like there could be some sort of uh, discussion about racism, you yeah. know, because that is a pretty big thing. That, and clearly mental illness yeah, and the uh, way that small towns, like, but, there's there's a underlying uh, nastiness to the, sm- the small town environment, yeah, you know? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's toxic, it's yeah. uh, heterogeneous. I think just... David Lynch explored it better in Blue Velvet. Yeah, yeah, uh, or even coming of age. Like, just none of it... Just, I have no idea why this has been getting so many positive reviews. I was really left uh, I baffled by its appeal by the end of it. I was like, how in the fuck did anybody sit through this entire thing watching it week to week as it came out right. in four different segments? I was like, yeah, why Why would you have not dropped off at some point? The only reason I stayed with it is because I'm fucking stubborn and had to review it for the show. <laughs> like, you get an hour and a half into it, it's like, well... You know, you're not going to beat me, France. In for a penny, in for a pound, I suppose. <laughs> uh, fortunately, a much better film that takes place overseas is Spring, which was a Alamo Draft House Fantastic Fest pick, and now is being released on the Draft House label with the help of Anchor Bay. And this is one of the most unusual monster movies maybe ever made. And I don't mean like unusual, like, oh, look how weird it is. I mean yeah, like... Dangly eyeballs. Yeah, I mean like, wow, what a weird concept. <laughs> and the thing is, you can't... We can't tell you but so much about what the monster is and how it relates to the story without really spoiling something that you want to discover for yourself here. Chris, you're the monster. <laughs> well, that's true, but that's a totally different movie. <laughs> no, I, I I think it it, it was like, uh, even though it's called Spring, the, the, the indie feel-good hit of the summer. <laughs> well, that's the thing. It really is sweet and romantic mm-hmm. but not in anything like a cloying way it's like uh the the before sun sunset or before sunrise or whatever series if there was a monster in it <laughs> <laughs> and didn't take forever uh basically the story is with uh lou taylor P- uh pucci pucci who's been in a couple different uh horror and genre films lately he's very good in this place evan russell who's you know american is his mom just died his father's already died uh he gets into a a, a bit of trouble, not so much that you know he will go to jail immediately, but the cops want to talk to him, and he's like, "Fuck it, I got some money. I'm leaving town. Just gets on a plane. Where's good to go?" Yeah, he's he's basically an American schlamozel. Just <laughs> yeah, yeah. He asks the airline attendant, "Where do Americans like to go?" It's like, "Oh, white people seem to like Italy." He's like, "Great, give me a ticket to Italy." So he's there, just fucking around, having to, doing what he does, drinking, partying, and he meets like the most beautiful woman in the world to him, who just uh, wants a one night stand. Yeah, and he has to fuck that up. Yeah, uh, played by Nadia Hiker, who. Apparently this is a, a or Hilker, I think. This is a very early role for her in her, her career. I think she's mainly been a model, but her she plays the character Louise and yeah, yeah, she's like first like, look, it's a one night stand. You want it or not? He's like, no, let's go eat some cheese. He's like she's like, I love her line. It's like this could have been really simple. You fucked it up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but he is the stubborn sort and is very taken with her and continues to pursue her in a non stalkery way, in a very no, polite quite way. respectful. Uh, and eventually she g- gives in and goes out on a date with them and they really hit it off. Uh, only for us to see that there is actually some scary monster stuff going on in the background here. Now, there's where I can stop describing the plot. 
all, all I'll be willing to say is this invents a new monster and sets it in a way that gives you a really interesting exploration of the history of Europe and like you know where it came from a history of like science and a bit of philosophy yeah it's kind of like watching connections connections there was a a BBC series that that, uh, goes from like how did the invention of a paperclip lead to plasma torches? You know, oh, okay, just, yeah, I understand. Yeah, that's pretty it's cool. Really awesome. But this is a fascinating film. It really is, um, but with the wonderful performances and some super terrific cinematography. Oh, it was yeah, it was it was a joy to watch, a treat for the eyes, and and not just because uh, Nadia is uh, okay to look at. Yeah, she's she's not hard on the eyes. Um, there's some nice, really nice transformation effects in this, although. It's not an overwhelmingly gory film by any stretch. Mm-hmm, no, yeah, it's not really the focus. This the focus is, is really just a breakdown of of uh, relationships between people, between couples, and between the person themselves. Yeah, yeah. I like, and what do you do if everything seems perfect in the relationship except for one really huge thing? <laughs> <laughs> and we're not talking about his dong. Don't worry. No. Um, there's a lot of bonus features on this as mm-hmm. well. A feature length documentary. Which, called the making of spring, which is something you we get rarely these days. Well, in in few movies, do I really give a shit about to to watch something that long about how it was made? But this was interesting enough that I wanted to see. Yeah, indeed. Uh, there's a commentary with the two directors of this, Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead. Now, apparently, these guys they they kind of got a Coen Brothers type thing together where they are uh, they are they write, produce, direct, edit, uh, and do the cinematography. And they just do all those duties together. Yeah. So, <laughs> but I, but one of them has to go get Chinese food if the other one's working. Well, so. sure. I mean, it, it works out perfectly. Uh, there's two deleted scenes, some uh, examination of the special effects, a proof of concept uh, thing, which is what, what they sent to investors trying to get money to get Spring made, an alternate ending, which is actually just a party joke of, at the rap uh, <laughs> that they did, a Toronto Film Festival promo, a Fantastic Fest promo. Uh, a whole bunch of multiple takes of various scenes, uh, a thing called The Talented Mr. Evan, which is subtitled An Inside Joke for Lovers of the Talented Mr. Ripley, uh, and really a lot more. Lots of little jokey stuff they filmed, extra you know, like extra takes on things that weren't included that were funny bits. Uh, yeah, this is a solid purchase, a really good film that, that, honestly, I can't think of anything else like it. No, no, it's, it's, it's pretty good. Yeah, I liked it. I was a little mixed, though, on Monsters Dark Continent, which is the sequel to Gareth Edwards' 2010 film Monsters, which, I admit, going into this, I've never seen. Mm, yeah, I know that. I, I know that had widely varied uh, reception, even though it was popular enough to give Gareth Edwards the deal to make Godzilla, and certainly got a lot of respect out of it. I know a lot of people who hated it, because apparently it was one of those, like, most of the film has very little to do with monsters, and then you barely see the actual monster. Huh, really? Oh, that's so <laughs> odd, because that's what happened here. Well, except here, you get to see the monsters a lot. Well, you get to see them big, but... yeah. There's a lot of monsters in this film, which pretty much look like if Elephant and Cthulhu had a baby together. <laughs> no, you haven't seen that before? No, is that a thing? It's at the Houston Zoo. It's a, a beautiful love story. It really is. I would have liked to have seen that as a prequel. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, should, should, uh, should we bring up the, the descriptor that was on the box? Uh, what, 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 Monsters Dark Continent? What yeah, it was, it was like the Hurt Locker meets Godzilla. 
Yeah, and I mean, like, that's not completely inept inept description of right. what this is. It's not as good as the Hurt Locker, certainly, although it thinks it is. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's, I don't know, it's hard to say it was not as good as Godzilla. Um, <laughs> like, because I was really mixed on Godzilla, too. I probably felt about the same about this as I did about Godzilla, actually. <laughs> uh, but the problem here is definitely much like with Godzilla, is not with the monsters themselves, which the effects look fantastic. They're pretty fucking cool creatures. Oh, yeah. You I- get, get to see a lot of them. I mean, no expense was clearly spared on making them look good. Yeah, no, I want I wanted to explore the monster aspect a lot more of this movie. But. Yeah, but what you get is more, and they said uh, Hurt Locker, I kept thinking Jarhead was what it reminded me of a lot. Yeah, You know, um, and it's like, the, I guess, I mean, when you look at it, like, Gareth Edwards didn't do this one, he's just a producer. Uh, they actually brought in a new director on this one, Tom Green, not that Tom Green. Yeah, that confused me at first. <laughs> I was like, oh, you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> Freddie got fucked. Oh, somebody's gonna be uh, sucking on a cow teat. I don't need to see no. this. Uh, this is... Imagine, like, a straight jarhead, like, war movie. Oh, the horrors of war. War is difficult. Done in that sort of arty sense of films like Jarhead and The Hurt Locker. Mm-hmm. But there happen to be a lot of monsters wandering around. Yeah, just kind of incidentally. Uh, basically, you've got four friends from Detroit who are good friends who all like have joined the army because they're excited to go to the Middle East for the first tour to deal with the monsters, which are now everywhere. These things breed like super rabbits. You know, they, Monster they, rabbits. There's, there's thousands and thousands of them over there. Some of them as big as an ant and some of them as big as a skyscraper. You know, like herds of the things like horses running around growing really fast. And their job is twofold. One, to kill monsters. And two, to deal with insurgencies that have been rising up because the people in the Middle East there, they even though they're monsters, they don't want the military there either because the military's way of dealing with this is just d- dropping bombs on the monsters that, yeah, and that was, fuck the casualties. That was kind of my biggest problem with the conceit of this movie. Of uh, Through most situations, you would say, yeah, we, we need to have a, you know, a, a, a soft touch to this, but motherfucking gigantic monsters big as cities. Like, yeah. Let's 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 go ahead and just pack up. We can come back later, you know. Like, well, I'll bring what a broom. I don't understand is these the people living there. Well, there are two problems. One, people living there when you clearly can see these things coming. They don't move super fast when they're that big. Yeah. Get the fuck out of the way. <laughs> Why would you still be anywhere near there if there was a giant monster on the way? In fact, you think you would have a highly organized community for spotting them and getting away as quickly as possible. So if people were hurt from this, you go, really? You didn't think about running away from the area quickly when you saw <laughs> a herd of them was on the way? Uh, maybe I'm just maybe I'm being insensitive to what's happening. But uh, Yeah, you're a monster apologist. I, I, I just... Yeah, I was like, what? And the other thing is, there's a sequence where these guys take down a huge one just using guns. Yeah, just just little pew-pews. And, yeah. and the thing is, like, and five stories high. Pretty quick, too. And I'm like, why are we dropping bombs on them when you could just do a flyover with a jet and take one out with your machine guns? Yeah, they're kids in a helicopter with slingshots, because yeah. essentially that's what it was. It just felt like, oh, that was kind of a plotting mistake, because that's a big hole in the story there. They're not actually that hard to take down. Well, that and they weren't necessarily aggressive to human beings. No, they were at points, definitely. They were I mean like not all not all the time. Not but, all the time. Like but, but I mean if they if you got their attention uh severely yeah. enough, sure they'd do that. But other than that, they just seemed like they were just having a good time. Yeah, they're just partying. You know, yeah, just gonna, doing monster they're things. They're just like, hey man, there's a lot of sand, where's the beach? Yeah. What which way is front, which way is back? I'm so weird, I don't even know. <laughs> That's true. I couldn't tell. 
they're just tentacles all over the fucking place. Uh, you know, it's you can't dismiss this film for lack of effort. No, there's plenty of it. There's no question that they really wanted to make a good film here. Uh, the acting, I thought, was all pretty damn good. Yeah. Um, and I even liked... There was this that you're getting into almost sort of a hearts of heart of darkness thing where there's two soldiers left, like the one young guy and then his sergeant. His sergeant has clearly gone deep over the bend, and he's crazy. the one with the thousand thousand yard stare to begin with. And their relationship actually is interesting as and scary as it builds. And clearly, this is one of these people are scarier than monsters type stories, which is a little bit trite at this point, especially when the monsters are that damn big. Oh, but the biggest problem with all the military stuff in here is it keeps going through like you know all the motions of this type of military look we're being very serious about the things we're saying about war is that we've seen all these things before right and and this movie just needed to pick a focus i think yeah no yeah i mean like i said like the first one i think it was going for look it's actually a movie about this but it also has monsters in it and i think maybe doing that a second time was maybe not the perfect idea I don't know. I like very mixed on this. I wanted to like it, uh, maybe because I always root for the underdog and heard a lot of people talking smack about it already. Mm -hmm. It's nowhere near as bad as perhaps you've heard. In fact, it is definitely something I'd say if you like giant monster movies, give it a look. There's some cool stuff in here, and it is not a terrible movie. It's just paced way too slow for a giant monster movie, which you could also say for Godzilla. (laughs) <laughs> it, it could have used a, a monster hunting montage at it, the very least. It, it really could have. Uh, next up is one of the weirdest ways to deal with having a unfinished horror film I've ever seen. Asylum. This oh, is an after oh. dark release. And this is, let me just tell you right now, this is what it says on the box. A veteran hostage negotiator's next call leads him to an overrun insane asylum. He soon finds that dark forces are pushing the patients to commit atrocities, and he may be the only one who could stop them. Okay, part of the movie is indeed about that. Sort of, but this is where the the record stops. I was looking online. I couldn't find an actual answer to whether or not this is true, but here's what it seems to me happened. They had this movie. They couldn't get the funding to finish this movie. And they said, hey, I've got an idea. Why don't we do a thing with a, a story around it where this is a movie that this guys at a, who work at a studio find and are just watching the work print of it, trying to decide whether or not it's even worth saving. And they just mystery science theater the whole fucking thing. Yeah, it was. It was <laughs> even with like like leaving in the things where it's like they'll say like VFX shot here. Yeah. And the subtitles and like where there'll be scene missing and what the scene is. And yeah. you're like. Yeah, this is the laziest way to save a film I've ever seen, but also, got to hand it to them, at least a little bit creative. <laughs> sort of, except uh, it, they didn't really transition it well or introduce that element. So no. at first I thought, did I accidentally like sit on a button that, that had this extra feature of the Blu-ray? Yeah, like, yeah <laughs> I was like, am I, watching, yeah, am I watching the alternate version of this? Right. But no, because the box gives you zero indication that this right. is actually a comedy with two stoner guys just making fun of a movie the whole time with an even more inexplicable outside story yes. around like a, office politics at the studio that it was like, who cares about this shit? Well, I mean, I think the, the biggest travesty uh, 
one, other than if, if you don't have a movie, just don't release the movie, is two, if if you're going to say those wacky things, then make sure they're actually funny. Well, I mean, they did get some good ones in there here and there. Yeah. It needed, they need to see how... This felt like it was a one-pass take on doing the jokes. Yeah. And, you know, you talk to the people like Mystery Science Theater, and they're like, wow, they have to watch those movies like eight, nine, ten times with, like, where someone's recording everything they say, and then they go back over the script and decide what to keep, and then go back and try it again. That is definitely not what happened here. <laughs> it was like, look, let's just let's just say stuff, and then we can finish it, and then we can be done with this and project. Some of the stuff they said was even a little on the mildly offensive level. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And I felt bad because Stephen Rhea, an Oscar winner, is playing the lead in the movie within the movie. And it's clear watching this, this is a piece of shit. You know, that but, someone but, was ser- trying to make a serious horror film and it sucks. But even if it sucked, I rather would have watched that. Yeah, I still would have rather have watched that because this like attempt to make... This is just a blatant cash grab. Mm-hmm. Like a, because the movie around the movie like l- is so much worse. Uh, i don't know what they were thinking here other than fuck it let's just we we own it let's do something with it but yeah it's a mess and i can't really recommend it at all um the uh very deceptively titled killer cop is up next which is a another kino release the uh, name is La Policia Hela Mani Legat, which I'm probably saying wrong. Legat. Uh, 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 this is an Italian uh, crime police. Uh, I never know how to say this. So I'll just say police crime film directed in 1975 by Luciano Ercoli, uh, who apparently did a lot of films like this. Uh, this movie, the title makes no sense. No, because he's he's well. So the original title, The Portrait of a 60% Perfect Man. Yeah. Even though that means nothing, that that is more significant to the movie than than Killer Cop. Yeah, uh, like the story where there's a guy who bombs a hotel, but apparently it was a mistake. He didn't mean to bomb the hotel, and he has beautiful eyes. <laughs> he does have beautiful eyes for a guy who's half blind, um, <laughs> uh, who is now feeling bad about it. But he also works for some powerful people who were trying to bomb something where I guess people weren't actually going to be hurt, like a warning bombing. Yeah, one of those nice bombings. And now he's on the run, and they're trying to keep this, you know, mainly this one cop who's vaguely I don't play by the rules cop. <laughs> Just sort of. Only a little bit I don't play by the rules cop. I mostly respect the rules. Is, is trying to get this guy, and of course there's this web of people who he knows who are involved in this conspiracy, none of which made sense, by mm-mm, the way. Mm-mm. Like, when I got to the end of this, I was like, what the fuck just happened? No, I I, I, I finished it saying, wait, am I stupid? <laughs> I know, right? I, I swear I was watching that thing. <laughs> uh, and there is no killer cop. I mean, even, like, the main cop, the only real cop in the story, kills, like, one guy in this whole film, which seems hardly justification to and call the film killer cop. To be frank, he has a bit of trouble killing that guy. <laughs> <laughs> he does, he does. He is not the most efficient killer. He's, he's not a one-and-done kind of guy. Uh, and, you know... It, like even more than that, I mean, we're just talking about the discrepancy with the title, and and even the the cover has a picture of like somebody's hands tied up. I don't. Do you remember anyone getting Mm-mm. tied up in this film at no. all? I don't think that ever happens. But like like a one guy almost wasn't able to get off the bus, but that was yeah, that was about as, as hard as it gets. Yeah, only metaphorically tied up. Um, 
it's just dull. Yeah, it, it's it's dull. And while I really like the main theme, you know, it's an Italian movie, so chances are that main theme is going to be catchy. Yeah, but I, I did like it too. I was listening to it. I was like, ooh, somebody should hand this off to RJD two and let him like sample and mix this. Yeah, but they 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 even for it being the main theme, they just ran it into the ground. Well, that's very that's a very Italian like seventies thing though. It's all elite motif over and over and over again. But they do they do that well. Uh, this was a soundtrack by Stivio Cipriani, uh, who did like spaghetti westerns, like the Bounty Killer, and lots of these police type soundtracks. Uh, in fact, the uh, let's see, the, his most famous score from The Great Kidnapping. The main theme was ended up recycling for a movie called Tentacoli, and then was used in Tarantino's Death Proof again. Not surprising if anyone would resurrect. Some- yeah. These old 70s movies. I'm sure Tarantino thinks this is an all-time classic. Uh, uh, <laughs> but it, uh, he's wrong, if that's the case. This is a really dull film. With yeah, that's right, Quentin. We're calling you out right here, right now. <laughs> oh, I got a list of stuff I can call Tarantino out for at this point. But you know what? It's just beating a dead horse. Yeah, well, his mom didn't decide, or he didn't decide for his mom to go out with Wilt Chamberlain, so just let, give that one a pass. Either if you, either you, either you totally, and it seems like either you're one of those people who just thinks Tarantino can do no wrong and everything he touches is perfect, or you're one of those people who thinks he was one of the greatest American directors for like two, three, maybe even four films, and then lost his way. Mm-hmm. I would be the latter. Uh, next up is Focus. Focus. Not, unfortunately, the story of uh, the song Hocus Pocus by Focus. But, no. Which I no, would have it, liked to have seen. It, it would have been great. Uh, it, now, now I'm going to have that song fucking stuck in my head. <laughs> Jesus Christ. That's the worst. Uh, Focus is a 2015 romantic comedy drama film. I suppose that's one way of describing the, it. The, the comedy part <laughs> is lost upon me. <laughs> yeah, directed by Glenn Ficarra and John Requa, starring Will Smith, Margot R- R- uh, Robbie, and Rodrigo Santoro, along with a bunch of other people who have small roles in this thing. Um, like, oh, Major Dad. Yeah, exactly. B.D. Wong, who was in everything. Lately. Oh, B.D. Wong was so great in this. Uh, wasn't he also in Jurassic Park? Yes. Or Jurassic World? Yes. And Jurassic Park. Yes, and yeah. Jurassic Park. Um, the idea here is that Will Smith is playing the cool guy again. Uh, a seasoned con man, Nicky Spurgeon. Maybe they should have thought double about his name. Although he's still, bit. apparently everybody calls him Mellow. Because when he was young, he was soft, and his dad called him Marshmallow, and it and, was just... And he hates it. Oh, gosh, he hates that name. <laughs> but there's a very amusing opening part where basically uh, Margot Robbie is trying to catch him in a grift with the jealous husband bit, and he's immediately like, are you guys fucking kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> you guys are so amateur, you're, you're not really going to do this. Amateur. It's really actually a pretty funny sequence. Uh but he ends up, she comes and just begs him, please help me, take me under your wing. I want to learn how to be better at this. And surprisingly, he does. Yeah, I thought that this was going to be a story of like, but she really grips She him. was conning him the whole time. I, well, because if this was like a regular con film, that's exactly what it would be. Where it's like, and I'm, I'm glad it wasn't. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was a bit of disappointment because I do like that sort of thing. But that would have been the predictable route for a con film to have her. Oh, it turns out she was actually the whole thing was a big con she was playing. Or, or she was like an Interpol agent. <laughs> 
right. <laughs> That's not the movie we're watching. Uh, he ends up taking her to New Orleans. He She meets the whole crew. Uh, starts to get pretty good at this with a series of heists building up to a really big heist. Uh, and then he immediately dumps her. Okay, thanks for the work. Here's your money. Bye. Yep. Where, like, you know, they had actually started to hook up. She was falling for him. And she's like, what the fuck? Uh, but that's just, man, that's just the way Mellow works. Hey, you know what? You got to keep it professional. Keep it clean. Keep it lean. But flash the years later, and it's they're in Buenos Aires, uh, and uh, Mellow is working for a billionaire motorsport team owner, Rod played by Rodrigo Santoro, who wants to basically be the best. And so there's this complicated plot involving some piece of software. I didn't mm. really completely understand it. Yeah, it, was, it, it was, doesn't. It doesn't matter. It was, it was like a timing algorithm. Yeah, something like that. Uh, that he has to get involved in and in, to create a grift to make money off this other guy and trick him into like thinking that it's something he wants to buy and yada 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 but of course he's got his own plans as well and everything gets more complicated and yes there is in fact always a bigger con on top of the con as there is and honestly more than not on the con level i enjoyed watching the way that this played out i mean i love a, a, a good grift film this is not a classic mm, and stretch the no. imagination and i think one reason is because you really like margot robbie and you want her to be cooler than she actually is <laughs> but in the end she really is just kind of a screaming Mimi female, you know? Yeah. She's like, like, I mean, I felt like I wanted to see her end up being at least on an equal level as Will Smith. And, and, you know, she never really is. She's just kind of like constantly falling for his shit and like all making bad decisions. And you're like, um, yeah, I I think my biggest problem was, uh, it's not giving anything away that, that his little grift company, if you will, uh, does, you know they're they're cheating really rich people out of you know pennies basically, but they're also doing a lot of like identity theft and and, and oh they're playing all the games right, and that's where I had the problem of like these you know these people are actually very harmful pieces of shit. Like if you've ever yeah. had your identity stolen, this this is nothing to be romantic well, about. I, but they play it off and just like eh, this is what we do. Well, I, I guess I didn't have a problem with that because this is a genre at this point. No, it the is con movie where you just go okay. It's like watching movies about professional assassins in real life. You're like, fuck that guy. But when you're watching a movie, you're like, okay, they're the protagonist. I'm going to care about yeah, what happens to but, but then that one guy can't get an apartment anymore because his, his identity got stolen and right. then he bought a boat and If row. you spend any time thinking about like the victims here, yes, I can see where you would. <laughs> but it certainly doesn't spend any time gloating about it after the fact. It's like, yep, that happened. Next one. Yeah, uh, it's making a matter of fact, and that's why it's worse. People say no to identity theft. Well, I, I mean, I agree with you. I'm just saying, the context of a film, that didn't particularly bother me because it is what it is. The, the worst thing that would happen is people see this and go, I want to be a con man. <laughs> that, that's not so good. Uh, in fact, this whole thing was advised by, and even he stars in a few scenes, a professional con man, like the world's best pickpocket. Mm. And there's an extra feature on here where uh, they, they uh, talk to the guy who is, you know, knows all about the professional con. And you're like, so why aren't you in jail? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, I guess there's that point. Con men either go to jail or they retire and become advisors to Hollywood. It's, it's I mean, yeah, there's only one of two ways. Uh, another problem that I had is that everything would have to go so absolutely perfect for this to pull off right that as I'm out. Well, no, that's that is once again uh, a a problem with like a lot of con films, and some of them handle it better than others. But even in here, there's that point where there's like one of the big cons in here that you're like 
wait, what? Yeah. Like there's a football con that's super elaborate. And I caught myself going when it was over. I was like, you better fucking explain how that worked out. <laughs> and honestly, he's like, it's an odds number because if and explains it so clearly and obviously I was like, oh, I didn't even figure out. I didn't even occur to me that, yes, that is, in fact, how that would work, that even if you lose, you can still win. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh. Wow. Okay, that's interesting. Now the final con, yeah, there's like taking such an elaborate chance with physical harm that you're like, are, I don't know if I would have ever trusted anybody to be on the other side of that if I was Will Smith. Yeah. But, um, I, you know, you're still this is a suspension suspension of disbelief film, and I think if you can suspend your disbelief, there's more fun to be had here than not. Um, uh, I still, I, I. I Limited attention for the chemistry between Robbie and Smith. I didn't think they were exactly on fire, and they yeah. kind of to make this really work, they had to be like that relationship should have been throwing off sparks, and I never felt. That. Yeah, I, I, I felt that uh, aside from good use of color, yeah, everything about this movie was milk toast. Yeah, it was just it was just uh, two degrees away from being interesting. Okay, fair enough. I guess I liked it a little bit more than you did. Uh, but I think we can both agree about Jupiter Ascending. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, that's what I'm naming our next child, is, is uh, Jupiter Ascending. Yeah, just your <laughs> Jupiter Ascending Brower? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's yeah, all the fascinating. way. Um, I, can I be the godfather? Of course you can. Sweet. I look forward to uh, the big Italian wedding when the, uh, your kid comes and asks me for a favor. Oh, yeah. So Anyway, Jupiter Ascending, if you guys, how do you not, you, you've got to know what Jupiter Ascending is by now. It's the latest Wachowski siblings film starring uh, Mila Kunis as, talk about your milk toast, uh, the most <laughs> boring human on the planet Earth who apparently is genetically space royalty. It's Wizard of Oz, and she is Dorothy, and Channing Tatum is Toto. Yeah, pretty much. Channing Tatum is a wolf boy with magic roller skates. I knew nothing about it, and then I just looked at the cover. I was like, he's like some sort of, like, I don't know, puppy-powered alien or something. (laughs) Like, oh, no, wait, that is is what he is. That's exactly what he is. Uh, Kudis is a regular cleaning woman on Earth, uh, working with her family. Her life is very dull, and then it turns out that, in fact, she is part of this royal blood, uh... And was, I guess, hidden here on the planet or something? No, from what I understood is that she was a genetic recurrence. A genetic recurrence, yeah, right. Because Earth itself was literally a farm for human beings, uh, for these space, you know, very rich, elite space people out there. The king of all which currently is being played with all the hyperbole in the world by Eddie Redmayne, who oh, with the- like just got like I don't did he win the Oscar? I can't even remember who won the Oscar this year for Best Actor, but he was nominated for Best Actor uh, for The Theory of Everything. And then you watch this, and no. you're like, my God, man! Do you either you don't know at all what kind of movie you're in? Or you had you, to do this, or so you, you could do something or else. Or you're completely disdainful of this film, so you're like, "Fuck it, I'm just going as far over the top as I possibly I, can." I, I would go with disdainful because his deliveries were so fantastically awful. Like, oh yeah, like he knew what he was doing. Yeah, like there's like for a guy who obviously knows how to act, this is not acting. This Mm-mm. is like like he thought this was the Fifth Element, and he's playing Gary Oldman's role. Uh, and you're like, no, that's, no, you know, no. it, this movie would have been good if it was more like The Fifth Element. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think the problem is there's no discernibly funny humor in this film. No. It takes itself so fucking seriously. And it's just the ultimate Z-grade, like, bottom dollar, simplistic, 
sci-fi opera plot. Oh, the 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 uh, grand revelations of, of feeling that Mila's character had, and the way she would speak out her emotions to, to the, the 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 Channing Tatum's was <laughs> was just completely on board with that. Of of uh, ask a five year old to write a love letter. What's it going to look like? That's basically what she would say. Oh yeah, um, and just there's so many little dumb things in here throughout it like just even like to character names like Sean Bean plays a character named Stinger a penny who apparently has something to do with bees haha yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like every like it's just like the fact they gave Channing Tatum space roller skates was like the space roller skates were my favorite part because oh, they, that's because the one part where it was it looked cool and it was funny that it was happening at all right he gets a kind of jet grind radio for a sec yeah uh, and then goes away. But later, uh, Mila has to throw rocks at the hornet's nest and ask how the space boots work. And he basically says that they take gravity and they run them through a uh, differential equation. <laughs> <laughs> sure. That, that's what it is. Like, it's that's the thing, though, is that it feels like this was something that was written by a 10-year-old kid, and they were like, oh, let's just make a fun movie out of it, which is, like I said, exactly what The Fifth Element was. Right, they just forgot they, the fun part. Where they knew, you know what, this should be beautiful, and we shouldn't take it seriously for mm-hmm. a second. And this is beautiful looking, no question. It's yeah. gorgeous. There's some stuff in here that's like, wow, this is like looking at the cover of like 70s sci-fi novels by like Frederick Pohl or something with that yeah, beautiful, ex- elaborate except, artwork. Yeah. But... It, there's never a moment where it seems to be not taking itself totally seriously, like turning the audience. There's a very important message here about the discrepancy between the rich and poor. And I was like, just shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Tell some jokes, as Martin Thomas would say. Yeah, blow some shit up and then make me make me laugh. Uh, Terry Gilliam had a weird little cameo. Did you catch that in here? Uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Which is literally just them going, we liked Brazil, because the whole sequence looks like a scene out of Brazil. Yes. But, yeah, this is... It's a mess. It's a gorgeous-looking mess, but that's all I can say for it. Um, I had fun watching it in the context that it's such an unbelievable train wreck of a movie. Oh, yeah, this is this is a grudge watch, definitely. Yeah, I mean, just watching it unfold is actually kind of pleasant in that they just make every mistake imaginable along the way <laughs> with a ton of money to do it with. And you're, how did this film get made? Why did the Wachowski siblings, after all the massive, like, failures they've created since the original and admittedly still awesome the first matrix film how are they still getting the money to put together disasters like this i I was thinking that if they could take the the production value that they have for this and reapply it to the matrix it would look even better right well instead (laughs) instead of spending money on jupiter ascending just go back and redo the effects from the matrix to make them better no i think it was fine Uh, I actually do recommend seeing this because, like I said, it is just one of those you will be entertained by such a super wreck of a film it is and it's colorful and it moves the first two thirds of it move real quickly and then it gets even more serious goddammit well if, if only to see Channing Tatum's uh, makeup boy. Oh, yeah. the makeup is the worst and of course they pack this with special features that almost no one will I, I you know what I'd be willing to bet no one will ever watch these but the Wachowski siblings probably but there's a lot of them on there about all your know, interviews with everybody in it and featurettes on the characters and on the special effects and uh, about the action sequences called 
specifically bullet time evolved. I don't know. Guys, stop using that term. We know we you invented bullet time, but stop it already. <laughs> stop gloating. It's It was a long time ago. Forget about it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, Jupiter Ascending is definitely, for me, a a miss, but but maybe with beer it would be okay. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely if you guys are going to be playing uh, games and you want something on in the background, have that on. That way you make sure your, your friends actually pay attention to the game. Yeah, that's true. Uh, now, I was surprised how much I liked the new SpongeBob SquarePants movie. Yeah, this is one of those movies where it's not meant for me in any way. No. And I liked it, but I don't know how good it was as a kid's movie. Right. Well, yeah, it's hard to... Like I mean, bright, colorful, fast-moving, thousands of puns. Got, got I assume that song. Kids are gonna like it. Um, this is the, the second one. The first one was just called the SpongeBob movie. This is called the SpongeBob movie Sponge Out of Water. I, I totally forgot there was a first SpongeBob movie. Yeah. And then I remembered the one sequence in the trailer with David Hasselhoff like skimming through the water like a dolphin or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of sad there was no David Hasselhoff in this one. But this one has a surrounding story with Antonio Banderas playing a R. A generic pirate are and he was I, I love when when Banderos does uh, things for kids yeah. because you can tell he enjoys doing that so much yeah but he makes bad choices like enter the spy kids series well you know, <laughs> p- part of that is uh, uh, probably some fealty to uh, Robert Rodriguez yeah probably a little bit uh, he plays Burger Beard the pirate who is has in the beginning of the film stolen a magic book that apparently can rewrite reality, mm-hmm. which is a useful thing to have. And boy, does it. Yeah, and he starts telling the story that's already in the book to a bunch of worrisomely uh, uh, nosy seagulls that surround him. And uh, so then we go, okay, let's go to animation, and we go under the ocean and watch you know, Tom Kenny, who one of the greatest voice actors alive right now, is SpongeBob SquarePants and his whole gang of, of, of buddies as they're like doing their life under the sea, which is working at a fast food restaurant. For, for the Kurgan. Yeah, I, what, who the fuck is like, came up with the idea of selling to kids, hey, the dream job is working at Long John Silver's. Maybe it's <laughs> just setting up expectations. I, I was going to say, I think it is, but a place called the Krusty Krab, uh, the burgers are super, people eat them all day long, it's all they talk about. Another thing, like, seriously, you're telling kids that this is all they should eat hey, as fast food? real dealio, that's all they're doing. I guess. Uh, but a neighboring restaurant called, what was it, the Chum Pit or something like that, the Chum Bucket, uh, doesn't yeah. do as well, run by a little tiny guy named Plankton, who's constantly trying to steal the magic recipe to the Krusty Burgers, uh, or the Crab Burgers, or whatever the fuck they're called. Krabby not Patties? The Krusty Bur- Krabby Patties, yeah. Krusty Burgers are the Simpsons. Uh, and it ends up going, like, I, the first, like, 30 minutes of this, I was like, well, whatever, it's a kid's film, you know, it's like, it's tolerable at best. And then it goes batshit insane with stuff like uh, them time traveling and going into the future and meeting, like, basically the Watcher from Marvel Comics, except he's Bubbles the Dolphin. Uh, Played by Matt Berry. Yeah. And uh, one of my favorite sequences where Plankton actually climbs inside SpongeBob's brain and enters basically Adventure Time. Yeah. And there's a moment in there that actually made me laugh out loud where, you know, he's all threatened by it. It's all sugary and happiness, but he falls off this cliff and suddenly these giant like snowball looking things all roll towards each other and start turn forming and turning into this giant monster and he's like oh shaking and it its head rolls up and it's a tiny little kitten head and goes pew <laughs> <laughs> it's like 
I want that. I yeah, want it's, the dolls. It's, it's definitely in the vein of uh, college kids getting high and watching cartoons. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you're worried watching this at first, you're like, oh, this is just, this is not, why did they make a movie of this? There, There's a point about 30 minutes in that it starts going, and you're like, oh, okay, now it's fun. Yeah. And even with the finally getting to where, oh, now they can walk on shore, and there's CG'd, uh, so they can interact. And a pretty big, fun action scene with them as sort of superheroes fighting a pirate in a his pirate ship on wheels that's all tricked out with all sorts of weapons. That is... Th- was highly entertaining to watch. Yeah, like, uh, I, I was a big fan of Sandy's uh, transformation when she came back onto shore. Yeah. The, 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 yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, this is, uh, it's still ultimately one of those, I mean, I'm, this isn't like a Pixar film we're talking about here. This is a film decidedly made for kids. Yes. That if you're an adult with, like, that I really like creative absurdity, uh, like, if you are an Adventure Time fan, I suspect that this movie will actually appeal to you. It has that sort of absurdity it, to it once it starts going. And if you're getting this for your kids, of course, there's about a billion little games and featurettes and karaoke things on here for kids. They load it up with that stuff. And the best two parts about this this movie is, one, it's not going to get you in the feels. And two, your no. kids aren't going to learn crap by watching this. Do you not like movies that don't get you in the field? No, I'm just saying this is just fun. This is just like, there doesn't have to be some grand overarching message or no, lesson that's true. here. That's There's... true. There's no lesson of any kind here that <laughs> no. I could discern except, fuck it, eat more burgers. Yep. Let's... Don't expect much out of your life. Hey, I'm still on, on board with both of them. Yeah, you know what happens if you get a job at a fast food restaurant? That's all you do. All the burgers you want. That's right. Burgers all the time. Burgers for breakfast, burgers for lunch, burgers for dinner. Yay, your life will be wonderful. Cholesterol. <laughs> Lowering the expectations of America one movie at a time. Uh, and speaking of America, it all started back in 1776 with the signing of the Declaration of Independence in the hottest fucking summer, apparently, like ever. <laughs> and they wrote a musical about it uh, well back when they got turned in 1972 into a film that yeah. uh, was actually competing against Cabaret at the Oscars uh, and lost. As it should have. Uh, I mean, Cabaret is a much better musical. I, I'm not even the biggest fan of Cabaret, but it's clearly the better made film well, of the I, two. I have disdain for musicals as a general rule, and even, I know, like, no, Cabaret is fantastic. It's, yeah, it's it's one of my girlfriend's favorites. It's it's just, it was one of those that just didn't hit and stick with me the same way some musicals do with me, and I, I love musicals, and I was like, eh, it was alright. Uh, I'm more of an all-that-jazz type of guy <laughs> myself. <laughs> but, um... This is a all singing, not much dancing, but just a little bit version of the events around the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Uh, George Washington is not ever on screen. He's can, he's involved with the beginnings of the struggle as the he's British Empire busy. is is starting to invade because America started to say no, we're not going to pay those taxes. Those are ridiculous. Meanwhile, in the Continental Congress in Philadelphia, all the main characters are wasting their time on trivialities. And basically says, launching abuse at John Adams, who admittedly is kind of obnoxious, who is yelling, we need to establish our independence now. We need to do important stuff. And they're like, shut the fuck up. Come on, guy. Uh, he teams up with Benjamin Franklin and with the help of a uh, one of the I forget who one of the guys is from Richard Henry Lee, del- delegate from Virginia, to who is very popular and liked to get them to agree. OK, we are going to now have an open debate on whether or not we should have a declaration of independence and it's a lot of 
there's a lot of songs that have nothing to do with the actual pertinent plot of this film. There's a lot no. of sideline stuff like Thomas Jefferson is horny. <laughs> there's, I think, at least two songs about that. And really, there should have been like 80 songs about how uh, Franklin is just slaying. Yeah. Slaying the ladies. Yeah, uh, well, like Benjamin Franklin was the high point of this film for me because he's fucking Benjamin Franklin and Benjamin Franklin is awesome. Uh, the high point for me was uh, seeing Feeney sing and dance. Seeing what now? Uh, uh, Daniel Williams uh, was uh, the principal in Boy Meets World. Oh, see, I've never seen that. Or William Daniels. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> don't, don't worry. Inter- Blythe, Internet knows. Uh, Blythe Danner plays uh, Martha Jefferson. Yep. Uh, uh, and uh, who is very hot. Oh, yeah. At this point in her career. Like, holy shit, hot. Uh, and in fact, the movie keeps pointing it out in case you missed it. <laughs> She's hot. Which is fine with me. And I love that John Adams is apparently schizophrenic. Because he hangs out in the bell tower by the Liberty Bell all the time, having imaginary conversations with his wife, who is not there. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you're like, I I was laughing with Courtney while I was watching this, going, like, they skipped, they should have included the deleted scene where she's like, John, you need to hide the bodies of the prostitutes I told you to kill. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, You know, I I liked this. I didn't love it. Uh, Some of the songs are kind of cute. But this is not the high end of musical like theater. Um, I, I enjoyed some of the comedy in it. Like I said, I love Benjamin Franklin in this quite a bit. Um, who thought you could ever make Thomas Jefferson boring? But Ken Howard somehow manages <laughs> to make him super super dull. Uh, William Daniels as John Adams. He puts a lot of work into making him just as unlikable and obnoxious as the play calls for him to be. Even though apparently in real life, everybody liked John Adams quite a bit. The, the, well, well, I don't know where you? they got that from. Uh, Apparently he was very hard on himself, and late in his later years he wrote something about like how I don't think anybody ever really liked me, but all evidence was to the contrary that 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 was not the case. Well, it's just because his brother threw those those uh, those awesome keggers. His cousin, yeah, yeah, Sam yeah, Adams, his cousin, yeah. Which I never realized before this that they were related. I never put that together. Isn't that terrible? But there's some cute moments in here, but really this is super dated. Not just because it actually is a period piece, but just as a film, <laughs> it's, it's layers upon dated. It, it, it's super dated. It's just now getting a Blu-ray release. I honestly did not even know that this existed. And I, like I said, am a musical fan. No idea that there was a musical about the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Which, if I guess I was a a, a Broadway producer and somebody said, "Hey, I've got this idea for a musical about the signing of the Declaration of Independence," I'd get get, get the fuck yeah, out of my office. I got an idea. Fuck you. <laughs> That's stupid. Get out of here. Well, it, what was funny was like uh, you know in '76 there was all the bicentennial like hoopity jew. Why not just wait four years and then release it then? Yeah, that, that was very confusing to I, me. I, that him. seems like that would have been the right decision, but no. Oh well, I don't know. Oh well, four I, years is a long time in Hollywood. It's true. I was very happy that all of the songs instantly went out of my head the moment I heard them. Yeah, I could they not even not tell you or refrain from any of these songs. They're not terribly Some, memorable. Something about an egg in one of them? Yeah, there's like, like the one song that's around like a fountain with Richard Henry, with Richard E. Richard, what is it, Richard Lee from Virginia? Yeah. That's actually kind of a nice song. In fact, a little bit of trivia, that the big moss-covered fountain they're dancing around? Mm-hmm. Fountain from Friends. Oh. The opening credits of Friends, that's the same fountain. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, just so you know. Not enough of a reason if you're a big Friends fan to watch this movie, perhaps, but still, it's there. But if you're a Friends fan, it's, okay, it's probably up your alley. <laughs> uh, audio commentary with uh, director Peter H. Hunt and uh, two of the actors. Audio, Another audio commentary with Peter H. Hunt and the screenwriter. There's uh, a couple deleted and alternate scenes here. There's some screen tests uh, with the various actors 
uh, trying out for these roles and the original trailers. Um, one interesting thing here, apparently there's a song included in this that was not included in previous versions of this mm. that is the song about like the, the conservatives in Congress who don't want the Declaration of Independence to happen who want to like remain fealty to England that was cut out because Richard Nixon was having a fit about it. Yeah. Apparently. Like, you're making conservatives look bad. I just wanted to say, conservatives are bad! <laughs> sorry, so, sorry. No politics. So, I apologize. So he sent Elvis down to take care of some shit. <laughs> I was like, they really, they were dicks then, they're dicks now! <laughs> what else is new? <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. I gotta stop. Sorry. I apologize. There's no place for politics in this podcast. But uh, I still, this is, that song is included in here with them talking about how it's always to the right, never to the left, something like that, and lots of dancing and singing, which seems unlikely for conservatives to do. <laughs> no, you ever you ever been to a conservative party? Ooh, man, they get down. That sounds pretty boring. Good booze, though. Uh, next up for a, another you know uh, re-release of an older film, but one that is other than, unlike 1776. Absolutely a must-watch if you've never seen it, and a spectacular re-release of one of the finest uh, upgrades to Blu-ray and 4K I've ever seen. It looked beautiful. Is Apollo 13, which is a Ron Howard uh, 1995 film starring Tom Hanks, Kevin Bacon, Bill Paxton, Gary Sinise, and Ed Harris. Uh, and, and in fact, I believe there was a Best Supporting Actress nod for the woman who played Tom Hanks's wife, uh, Kathleen Quinlan. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure that was the case. Anyway, I don't see why not. Uh, so this is about the. You know, all right, so here's the deal. This obviously really happened. Apollo 13 came up. This is what two flights past the moon landing, I believe. Was it Apollo 11 was the moon landing? Oh boy, I think so. Jeez, oh, we're terrible. Um, and they're going to be the second group of men to land on the moon. And the problem is, A, it's called Apollo 13. B, its flight time is 13.13, and it was on the 13th of the month, and you're like, guys, I'm not superstitious, but I think there comes a time that maybe you should just go, let's delay this for an hour and a and, day. And, and they put 13 <laughs> people on the flight. No, there were not 13 oh. people on the flight. Oh, hmm. yeah. So I, I miscounted that. No, no, that's, that's all right. Uh, if one of them had 13 fingers, no, he didn't. <laughs> um... And as we all know, this was a doomed, but not doomed to destruction flight. It got up there, something, a bunch of shit went terribly wrong, and it turns into a, fuck, how are they possibly going to get back to Earth and survive? How will they possibly Yeah, make what this? are they going to, how does it end? Uh, and this is really kind of a nail-biter of a movie, and I love the fact that they didn't, Howard was like, these guys would not have been freaking out and screaming at each other. They were professionals. Yeah, because actually freaking out means dead. All really restrained. They did such a good job showing that, no, these guys were professionals. They're clearly scared, but they keep it on a subtle level, how scared they actually are. Yeah, they were Billy Ocean about it. They're Billy Ocean. When the going get tough. Oh, I see. <laughs> uh, this is a wonderful movie. It really is. And an uh, important part of history and really a story about heroism that is if you have any like I am if you get really verklempt over films about true nobility this is one of those will totally get you mm. <laughs> true nobility like the 8th Earl of Oxford uh, what about the 8th Earl of Oxford like you're thinking about him makes you teary eyed no Oh. Why would that Wrong mean? nobility, I guess. No, no, not that kind. Not the, the oh. term of nobles, but actual, oh. the, the, yeah, okay. the idea of nobility. Like Man. being noble for a cause. I've got to get on the ball. Yeah, you really do. Like, which Apollo flight landed on the moon? 
Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. Six through ten. <laughs> I don't know either. I'm sorry. I'm pretty sure it was eleven, but then again, I'm not really sure at all. So. Then again, we're not astronauts yet. But this is really beautiful looking. Once again, I cannot emphasize how great this looks. I can only imagine how great it looks on an actual 4K television. Like, damn. It just sounds great. It's a terrific movie. It's a little long, but nothing feels like extraneous either. No. In it. Um, there's a bunch of extras. All, all but one of them are the ones from the 15th anniversary edition that have been ported over, including two commentaries, a documentary, an hour-long documentary about you know the real life Apollo 13 flight, um, a look at the space race to the moon that was going on at that time. There's a U control thing where you can get pop-up stuff. There's a 12-minute interview with the 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 real the real guys who that are being portrayed in the film. Jim level. And then a, a new feature at 11-minute feature at called Apollo 13 20 years later that is uh, yeah, unusually short and only has Ron Howard and producer Brian Grazer in it with awesome hair. Kind of well always, but kind of <laughs> surprised that they didn't have any. They couldn't get any of the actors to appear in that, uh, or they just didn't try. More like they probably just didn't try. They're yeah. like, oh, Tom's given us so much, but and despite. Despite the not uh, huge amount of effort put into new bonus features, this is still an essential American film. It's one of Ron Howard's best films. And, like, if you want, like, really, if I had to pick out one film about the space race that is, like, pro- arguably the best, it's probably this the right, one. Uh, the, the right stuff. You know, I like this better than The Right Stuff. Huh. Yeah, I love The Right Stuff, but I actually like this one better. I well, thought it good. was more human than The Right Stuff is. The Right Stuff gets a little bogged down in the details, but mm. partially because of its huge running time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but still, they're both really good. Uh, another American story, so American it has USA in the title, is <laughs> McFarland, USA. This is a brand new film uh, uh, with Kevin Costner playing a down-and-out high school football coach, Jim White. Oh, this is a true story, by the way, uh, who has trouble keeping a job because he's got kind of a temper. Yeah, like, he's got a little 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 touch of the Bobby Knight. Yeah, we see him in the beginning of the film literally throwing a cleat at a, ki- a kid's face who, in his defense, that kid needed more than just a cleat in the face. He oh, was yeah. a little punk. If I was him, I don't know if I would have stopped with cleating his face. <laughs> Good kick to the balls is what that kid needs and maybe the removal of said balls. Uh, but... He needs to. He needs to have a job. He's got a family of his own. So they go and take the only job that he can actually get, which is as a high school uh, gym PE teacher in McFarland, California, which is all but like two people Hispanics living there. Well, that's why it's called McFarland, right? And he's from Idaho, so he's like, I. What are those? Are they? Is did they tan for too long? What's going yeah, on? Yeah, culture clash. What's going on a here? A bit of a culture clash. He's not out and out racist. Your tortillas here are gigantic and floppy. He's not racist. He's just has no idea anything about this culture. He's, yeah, he, like he, doesn't know. Has no exposure to this culture of any kind. Yeah. And suddenly he's like he is the minority and surrounded by it, and it's. Not the film I thought it was going to be at all. I mean, ultimately, it's about him forming a track team in the school and, you know, leading that school to, as, as the film reveals, a series of championships. This is a team who has never had a championship anything, never even had a track team before he showed up, and uh, and is one of the poorest districts in the country, 
And, you know, I mean, there's like a lovely sequence during the end credits where it shows all the actual real people who played all these roles of these kids and how they all went on to better things Except in their for life. Except one guy. See, so, yeah, the one guy who went to jail, but then ended up getting a j- good, decent job afterwards. But, yeah. like, their family for generations have just been migrant field workers, and these guys all went on to real stuff because of, like, the boost that they were given by this guy to feel good about themselves, to feel confident, and to work towards college. It... And it never settles into being cloying or triacly. No. But more importantly than any of that, I think, is that it really is a film about, like, your feelings, any sort of racism that you may have, even in a subtle level, has more to do with you just not really being exposed to these people are just people. Yeah. You know? And and it deals with that really well. Yeah, well, because... uh I, I think he had to to work at actually opening himself up, but it wasn't. There's no like crying in the rain scene where he has a grand epiphany. It's just like, oh yeah, maybe, maybe uh, ask before presuming that they're gangbangers or something. Right, right. Uh, I mean, like, I, I don't think it even needs that. He is a decent guy. It never makes like it never makes him out to be a racist. He just is a little afraid because he's suddenly a minority in a culture that's completely foreign to him. And as he starts becoming clear to him that these are just people, they're there, and, and a lot of them are in a lot of trouble. He. And, you know, ends up kind of falling in love with these people. They're his friends and neighbors. And I like, I really like the way this film handled that without trying to, you know, beat a drum about it. Yeah, it, it, to me, it was kind of like a, a synthesis of uh, Prefontaine uh, meets uh, Stand and Deliver meets Cool Runnings. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> this needed more Jamaican bobsled teams. It, it, it. it could have done with a little bit. Uh, but, you know, this isn't what I call all-time classic, but it's a sweet film. It's well done. Uh, it's a good film to show your kids, definitely. I mean, like, a, one of those films that can introduce to them the ideas of, like, not judging people based on their race and culture in a way that's not, that never feels like you're being lectured to about it. And, and, unless you've got daughters. Don't show your kids if you've got daughters, because then they're going to want quinceaneras. And those things are Oh, I thought you were going to say to date a Hispanic guy. I was like, Joe, get out of here! No, I don't want to work against my own interests. <laughs> So I would never say that. Uh, yeah, I, like I said, I like this. It's largely unremarkable, but it, it achieves exactly what it wants to and does it pretty well. Oh, and uh, the the shot where he sees the one kid running back to his job through the field, that was actually a really cool shot, I yeah. thought. No, it was on the whole. There's nothing I can really say about this film that's bad. Everything's handled like more than workmanlike. It's pretty mm-hmm. professional and, like, and it has a decent, really good script. Costner does exactly what he needs to and no more. Yeah, he doesn't ham it up. No, which, not which... at all. Yeah, I expected some really silly Costner moments, and they're just not there. It's a very human story. Uh, now, I don't know if Parks and Recreation was a series of very human stories, but it still gave me the feels at times. It gave me giggles. It actually helped me get through a divorce. Did it really? Yeah, it did, because I had never really watched it. Uh, and then after everything went to shit, I was just alone. And I was like, oh, I hear this movie is funny, and I'm dead inside, so why series. not? Yeah. Uh, but then, you know, I just... I powered through five seasons in like like three or four days, and then it, it really did help snap me out of that funk. Well, see, it's good for so many things. So, thanks, Amy Poehler. Wh- Aside from your anti-Semitic comments, I love. Wait, what? Oh, I, that was that was in private. I shouldn't have said that. Did she make anti-Semitic comments? Just to me. Not about me. I mean, she's not a monster. I think what happened was you were hitting on her, and she just said, "You get out of here." 
and he oh, misunderstood what okay. she was saying. So, All right. Okay. All uh, right. Well, then, sorry, Amy Poehler. Uh, Parks and Recreation is now being released in a very sort of just dump it sort of way by mm-hmm. NBC on DVDs, which is just re-releasing all the DVD box sets into one, you know, slipcover case for them all. And uh, so if you were hoping for like a Blu-ray set or something with new features, no. Now, that being said, all these seasons always came with lots of really funny special features, lots of good gag reels, uh, featurette stuff. All that stuff is here, uh, and stuff I had not seen because I hadn't watched season seven yet, so I got to watch I'm that, really and that has lots I'm of extras on it. You didn't like season seven? No. See, here's the problem with Parks and Recreation season seven. Season six ends the show perfectly. Yep. It nails the ending. Like, wow, that's one of the great Yeah, they show stuck the landing. Totally. And then someone said, oh, did we not tell you you have another season? Oh, sorry. Uh, And so they go, oh, fuck. So what do we do? All right. Flash forward two years to the year 2017. The far future. Uh, So we can have regular jokes in here about silly stuff like uh, Will Smith put out Hitch 2 and it's one of the greatest movies ever. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, just little here and there peppered with jokes like that where everybody has moved forward in their career. Uh we decidedly feeling Rashida Jones and Rob Lowe not being there because they left in the previous season. Yeah. Like, that's the the hardest part is that they're not there because they were such an essential part of this chemistry. They I, were literally an essential literally, part. Literally. I, I, I had never... I, I normally didn't marathon the show, but I did marathon the last couple seasons for reviewing this, and I'd never occurred to me before how often... how every sentence he says, he literally says literally... <laughs> Uh, but they're so funny in this. Rob Lowe just had some of the funniest moments in the history of the show. But there's still some really good stuff in that final season for notably. I, I love that they made where Chris Pratt, who had reluctantly gone on to become a, uh, found out he was really good at improv songs Karate. as Johnny Karate, a children's entertainer, has now got his own like local TV show that is just beloved by everyone. And there's a whole episode that's just the Johnny Karate show that's like his last episode of the show because he and his uh, wife, played by Aubrey Plaza, are moving to Washington, D.C. for her to get a job. But ultimately, it didn't stick the landing in the last season. And it felt like a lot of forced sentiment all the way through it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like really forcing it. And the show's always been good at sentiment. And, you know, fitting in there with the comedy, making these characters, even though they're absurd, ultimately they're, you still like them and there's a humanity to them and, and they have a soul. The last season just felt like fan fiction. It really um, did. With, with I think, like I said, plenty of funny moments in it, but that sense of like them being real was not there anymore. Yeah, yeah, no, it was definitely fake of the funk. But you had six amazing seasons before that. So. Yeah, and I, I, I just want to emphasize it is worth watching the seventh season. It is not. I don't think it's terrible. It just doesn't hold up, and they should have ended it at six. Uh, but, you know, it's funny. When I first started watching this, I watched the first couple episodes of season one and went, yeah, this isn't really that funny. It's not my no, thing. Yeah, well, and apparently, like, a lot of people felt that way, and they went back and retooled a lot of the character, like, design, like, what they were doing with it, especially Amy Poehler's character, to make her much more likable. And season two hit it out, knocked it out of the park, like, running. Like, oh, right off the bat. We get it now. And they were right. They did. Because it just wow! Suddenly, this all works great. Right when they were able to play to the 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 actors, just kind of proclivities in real life, and 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 uh, and run with the joke. They they really stumbled onto something great. Now, 
I do need to say something really negative about this set, and I don't know if this is just my edition of it or if it's a problem with all of them, so you might want to be cautious if you're thinking about buying this. Uh, I watched, the, like I said, the last couple seasons, and all of the discs were doing this weird thing where every couple episodes they would do a thing where they wouldn't show the before credit sequence. It would just start post-credits, Ooh. the episode, and then the next episode would would show the before credit sequence and then the entire episode all over again. Huh. Uh, like, why is this here? Why are there... I mean, it's nothing... There's nothing missing, as near as I could tell. It was just, wow, somebody really fucked up coding these things. Yeah, well, I mean, it came out really quickly, I think. Yeah, well, I mean, but this is just a repackage of all the previously existing sets, as far as I can tell. And I have several of those other sets and from before when they were sent to me, and I never had that problem before. Hmm. So, I don't know. Maybe it was, like, just those last three seasons. But either way kind of disappointed to see that that was there still this is one of the great sitcoms of like the last 10 years i think yeah yeah it's it's super funny super well done so many great performances i can't tell you how much i fell in love with chris pratt on this who's so good uh, with aubrey plaza i mean both these people obviously launched their careers out of the show aziz ansari who goes from being this a uh, the most absurd jokey character on the show to being somebody you genuinely really like and root for you know throughout it and certainly his career took off uh, from this nick offerman's career went crazy after this i mean who is my favorite character on the show even though like his politics couldn't be farther from mine <laughs> it's just the way he does his delivery and every time those moments where he breaks and laughs at something or something because oh, he's like a little nick offerman's laugh his, so. his giddy joy yeah. over something like there's a point where he goes to scotland and he's like not all of europe is bad as i've discovered <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah still really recommend if you've never sat down to watch parks and rec now is the time to go and just marathon the shit out of that fucker get divorced and then watch it it's gonna it'll do you wonders well that brings us to the end of our show and our last movie, which we like to call our giveaway. 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 And that is The Taking of Tiger Mountain, the latest film by legendary Hong Kong director Chewy Hark, who has done some quite a few of the greatest martial arts films ever made, including the Once, uh, Once Upon a Time in China series uh, with Jet Li. And he was not, has not had the best run of things before this. Uh, I, I think one of the problems was that with Chewie Hark's later career is that he gets a little too carried away with CG. And he's always been a big special effects guy, but it was all practical back in the day. Mm. Um, I still like stuff like this last movie, Young Detective D, Rise of the Sea Dragon. It's fun. It's just goofy to the point that you're like, okay. <laughs> uh, but this, it's been a little while since we I thought we had anything really spectacular from him. And this is honestly, I thought, pretty fucking spectacular. This is a remake of a Peking opera, which was then remade into a film, as this movie reminds you, because in various scenes, you actually see the original film playing during it. Um, and it is uh, based on the novel Tracks in the Snowy Forest by Kubo, which I'm probably saying wrong. And it's about a battle that took place between the People's Liberation Army of China and a gigantic, super well-funded bandit gang right. that have taken control of like the biggest stronghold in the snowy mountains uh, on top of Tiger Mountain, which does, in fact, fortunately for us, have giant fucked up man-eating tigers. Super tigers. Yeah, super tigers. Yeah, it's... it's, 
it bar the story itself borrows heavily from uh, the Water Margin, which is a, a Chinese classic uh, super novel. So there's gonna be a ton of characters, and there's going to be a lot of uh, you know Blood Brother kind of fealty oh, yeah. there. And- we're we're seeing the same that like I mean we're seeing things that are endemic to Chinese cinema. Quite frankly, those right. those tropes are very like I mean that's. There, you'd be hard pressed to find a Chinese film that doesn't have those tropes. Right, and, in. and they're all based off of basically three different book series. Yeah, uh, it's the same story being told over and over again. Uh, and this one, even I, I thought it was a little slow to get started. Um, beautiful scenario. I mean, like where they are, it's just this huge, gorgeous, snowy mountain with giant, crazy peaks and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this group of soldiers who are very much in trouble. They're out of food, they don't know what to do, and they know they're surrounded by bandits, uh, but they meet up with this guy who is was sent to them uh, along with his nurse, who uh, is like a master spy instigator type guy. He's like, look, I'm going to go into that castle with the bad guys, and I'm going to trick them into accepting me as one of them, and then we will take them down that way. From the inside. And pretty much this is one of those movies that doesn't really get going until he leaves to go do that, mm-hmm. which is about the halfway point of the film. And from then on, it's a lot of fun. Like, yeah. lots of huge action sequences and just tons of bodies piling up. And, you know, like, whereas, like I said, overuse of CG, but still, there with every Hong Kong film that comes out that does overuse CG, they're clearly getting a little better at it, a little better at it. And this is the best I've seen Hong Kong do CG so far. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, it helps that there's not, like, a supernatural element to it, because yes. then it would just be bonkers. Right, right. I mean, like, I would not want to see them remake Chinese Ghost Story with CG instead of practical effects. <laughs> no. like, why, why would Part of the fun of that is that we know they did it practically. How did they do that? Uh, I don't think there's any way... It would have cost another $100 million to make this film imp- imp- completely practical. Mm-hmm. And I think, overall, they did a pretty good job doing, you know, making good with what they did have to work with here. Yeah. Uh, a lot of like fun bigger than life characters the main villain hawk isn't that the name of a character from tekken who looks exactly like that oh uh well hawk hawk isn't it but i, I think you're talking about uh, uh the, the the grandpa old Hihachi. yeah, yeah Hihachi. he looks just like Hihachi. <laughs> he looks a lot like Hihachi. <laughs> uh but i had a ton of fun with this i really did by the end there's okay the weirdest thing about this movie is is twofold one there's a surrounding story that's kind of about a guy in modern day who's going home to visit his family and basically finds out that he's related to all these characters yeah, in the which story. Which is sweet, but I didn't need Which is sweet, but it's totally unnecessary and is has a very odd, like, what's happening now sequence yeah. that leads into the most elaborate, expensive post-credit sequence I have ever seen, where they're like... <laughs> where they clue it. He's like, you know how we saw the bad guy get defeated? But it could have happened like this <laughs> with like a super expensive sequence with like a a fight on a biplane and like, wh- why didn't you use that? <laughs> I don't understand. You cut that for the other ending? <laughs> but at least they included it in there. And mm-hmm. like I said, once the credits start rolling, do not stop immediately until you've seen the biplane fight because it's pretty massive. Well, now this isn't really indicative of the movie, but included on on the on the Blu-ray uh, is the trailer for um, the 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 new uh, police story, uh, and uh, it's it's kind of a, a 
a darker, grittier, almost kind of like uh, Supercop meets uh, Taken sort of vibe to it. Uh-huh. That that just like okay, I'm back on board for the Police Story series. I thought Jackie Chan was out, but I didn't watch the trailer. So is that with Jackie Chan in it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. Cool. It, it looked really good. So I'm 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 uh, hopeful for that one. Uh, but I, I think, like, I gotta say, this is really one of the more fun, big budget Hong Kong films I've seen lately. In fact, it did gangbusters in Hong Kong. This was a huge monster hit over there. Not surprising, uh, or in China, actually. This is the mainland China film, if I'm not mistaken. Apparently, the original film, uh, that this is a remake of was mandatory viewing for citizens. Hmm. Like, like the generation of people watching this now, their parents had to watch the original, like repeatedly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was considered to be a film about, like, you know, our, well, our, it shows our, that, our, the people yeah. who with the beginning that's the heroes who were the ones who made it so that we can be here today. Yeah, the PLA fought yeah. the bandits. Yeah. Uh, and the, you can see why there's a sort of like generational thing here, why everybody went to go see it. And it, regardless, it does translate to America, I think. I think you can enjoy this as just a fun, action-packed war film. And we're giving away several copies of this on Blu-ray. What do you have to do to win it? Fight a tiger. Yes, you have to fight a tiger. <laughs> a tiger in Africa. Uh, uh, anyway, no, we uh, get on Twitter, at one of us net. You are going to uh, hashtag a tweet to us with uh, uh, Tiger Mountain. Uh, uh, just how about just Tiger Giveaway? We'll make it so you have yeah. more words you can use. Tiger Giveaway. And what do you have to do to win it? Uh, produce the best rap li- lyric about a tiger. No, I would. Yeah, that's too many. That's too many words. Too many characters. <laughs> okay, uh, come up with with uh, the best martial arts stance name. Yeah, there you go. What is it? Come up with the, the the one that's going to make us laugh or go wild the most for a martial no, arts just, stance. No, name. guys. Cannot be an actual martial arts Right, stance. and you can't just watch Evil Cult, because <laughs> then you clearly win. Uh, but send that to us, and we will pick a couple winners and send you off a copy of The Taking of Tiger Mountain on Blu-ray, which you will be glad to get. Well, that is it for this week's show. Thank you so much for joining me, Joe, as usual. Please click on our Amazon links that you'll see on the page. Okay, I will. Uh, not you. Well, you if you want, but everybody else, because that will take you to the Amazon page, where if you buy that product, or in fact any other product on Amazon, as long as you start from that link, we get a kickback Wait, from that any, as well. Any tar- any product, like a tiger? Uh, well, I don't think Amazon sells tigers. You don't know that for Maybe sure, a though. stuffed tiger. I, I don't care what, what kind of tiger. Just, just get a tiger, guys. If there's a tiger on Amazon and you can start from our links, then I encourage you to buy it. Oh, links. I get it. See, that was a nice word to play. What? I don't. Because that's a kitty, too. Uh, I always think of Lancelot links myself, which is a <laughs> chimpanzee. Uh, also, thank you to you subscribers. I can't tell you how much that helps. You're the one of the number one reasons we're able to keep this do- going and pay all the bills that are pretty expensive to keep a site like this going. Uh if you guys are not a subscriber yet, there are a lot of free shows on there uh, for subscribers like The Original Gentleman and The Breakfast Pub. And soon we're going to have um, bi-monthly, uh, not bi-monthly, but two-a-month commentaries coming up on there as well for movies just for subscribers. So please help us out. You're paying for the whole site, not just for those bonus features by doing that. Anyway, thank you so much. Uh, once again, thank you, Joe. And- hey, thank you. And everybody out there, thank you extra. Extra? 
extra. More so than me? Yeah, because way more of them have have ears to listen to this podcast than just us. That's true. We only have four ears combined, and hopefully there's more than four ears listening to this. Hopefully. Yeah, because otherwise I kind of feel lame right now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But as we always say, no release is too big, no release is too small from Criterion to Catastrophe. We review them all.